All right, so I I am ready. Yep, good. Good deal. Are here and are you a? This, what's up? Oh, I was just gonna say, are we live? Or are you yeah, rolling we are, the? Yeah, we're we're good. Yep, we are live right now. We're having oh, a tropical cool. storm here in Southern California. Where where are oh, you guys? Yeah, that's right. You guys are getting ready to get hit with that, huh? I am uh, I am on the yes. opposite coast, very far away. Um, in oh, Jersey. that's right. Yep, I'm over in Jersey, and Alex I'm is... in warm, sunny Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, I, I I dedicate Charlotte's War to two Nebraska boys. I I know you do. That's one of the things I was going to ask you about because I read. I'll be honest, I haven't read through a lot of it, but uh, Sam, is that your publicist guy, I think his name is? Yeah. Um, sent me a copy of your book, which, honestly, that's been one of the really cool things about doing this podcast and interviewing people is I have like five books on my um, books app right now, and I'm a big audiobook guy, but I have I, I do like to read actually like written quote unquote written word although it's on a tablet at night before i go to bed 
Um, and that's one of the ones that I've kind of thumbed through at a certain point in time. And I, I saw that you dedicated your book to, to two Nebraska boys. So I was going to ask you, where, whereabouts in Nebraska are they from? They're from Ashland. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to spend a lot of summers there. My parents would get rid of me. Stick me on a Greyhound bus to Ashland. To Ashland, yes. Nebraska. So to put it into context, I'm 20 <laughs> minutes from Ashland. Ashland is like almost smack dab in the middle of Lincoln and Omaha. Right. And actually two of, we have two really nice public courses, golf courses um, in Nebraska that are in Ashland. and. Um, I like Ashland a lot. It's a really pretty part right on the Platte River, and there's two courses out there that that are really fun to play. So I, I know Ashland very well. One of my my cousin who was, was felled in Vietnam, he's still alive. He took a shrapnel to the head. Ooh. And uh, 20 years ago, he could still play golf. And so he and I and my son played golf on one of those courses you're talking about. Okay, very cool. But we didn't get very far because the lightning sirens went off. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that'll happen right on the Platte River for sure, out in Ashland. Yeah. I mean, did, I, I'll, I'll did, go ahead. I was going to say, did you enjoy it? Did, were you surprised at, at how kind of pretty it was for unless you play the country club but uh, the other two courses you when you at least when i play them i'm always like hole eight hole nine thinking i just can't believe this is in nebraska it's so pretty out here i don't know i spent so much time in nebraska so i like it all <laughs> including, including the thunder and lightning but, yeah. yeah i was uh, anyway was, where are we for are yeah, we fully been, live, Ben? Sorry. Live. We've been fully live, brother. Okay. I was just been... Okay. I figured, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we're just letting you guys uh, chit-chat it up. But uh, anyways, welcome back, our loyal viewers, to another Sunday evening episode of our humble What in the World podcast. Tonight, we are talking with John Lawrence Graham. And I'm not going to steal his thunder, but uh, John, just go ahead and uh, introduce yourself a little bit and tell everybody about yourself. Okay. Um, let's see. I've spent the last 40 years or so uh, teaching international business at the University of Southern California and uh, mostly at UC Irvine. I retired in 2010. Um my scholarly work is on international negotiation and international uh, international business generally and international marketing. And uh, I've been writing books on the theme of peace uh, mm -hmm. for about the last, well, my first book was on uh, doing business in Japan in the 1980s. And uh, that, I think, helped the uh, Americans get along with Japan. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been working on books on peace for about 40 years. My most recent one, which we were talking about, is Charlotte's War. That's historical fiction. Mm. And, but it, it contains a lot of material on international negotiation. And also contains, um, or is in part based on my experience as a, a Navy SEAL 
in the 1970s. Unfortunately, I was not directly involved in war, but I was uh, stationed in the Philippines for a while out in that that direction. Hmm, Gotcha. And uh, so, anyway, the basis of the book is my background in international negotiation, but also my experience in, in the military. And one of the key, the story in Charlotte's War runs from roughly 1938, so uh, World War II, through uh, the war in Vietnam. Mm. And uh, the main character, Charlotte, uh, and her extended family are deeply involved in all, all three wars. And that's what the book's about. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, the quick background. Well, that sounds, well, now I'm going to have to get a hold of your copy of your book because I'm a big history nerd. I love history. So I'm going to have to get a copy of that book and and get back to reading. I haven't read a book in forever, but that one sounds super interesting, kind of right up my alley. It's about to come out in audio format too. Oh. A little bit late with that. But just send me your address. That's, and I'll, I'll be happy to send a copy of the book. Perfect. We'll do. I've uh, yeah I've got it I can send it to you and John is kind of downplaying himself as I kind of figured he would but you're a you're a Berkeley PhD is that correct you're that, a, that's correct yeah so that's I mean first and foremost getting your PhD from Berkeley isn't necessarily easy work that's not really light work so I knew coming into this podcast I was probably going to be the dumbest guy in the room which I I prefer <laughs> actually. Because <laughs> um, if I'm the smartest guy in a room, we're all in trouble. So, um, well, I and think then what, what a PhD, ahead. what a PhD does for you is make you very smart in a na- very narrow sense. Mm. <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing that I've done is I've worked for a living um, uh, for a multinational company, Division of Caterpillar. Uh, involved oh, okay. in doing marketing research for oil field equipment. So that also informs my background, and I just forgot to mention that that part of it. Just casually. Just casually you know, No big deal. Works for Caterpillar. Well, and, and you've been published, and sorry, I have my phone out, and I don't like to have my phone out unless I'm reading uh, notes that I've written down or screenshotted. Um, so it's not because I'm texting, I promise. Um, it's, you've been published in journals, Harvest Bit, Law School Journal Marketing. I mean, um, you've written articles for the Times, New York and Los Angeles Times, USA Today, Christian Science Monitor. Um, so you're, you're a very smart individual is, I guess, my way of framing all of that. And I'm, I'm excited to get to, to chat with you a little bit because I do have some questions about, um... You know, just your life, and and uh, it seems like your driving kind of work is that negotiation kind of peaceful aspect of of humanity, if you want to call it, which is is very all very intriguing to me. So it, it, I'd like to, uh, not that you need uh, another feather in your cap from some random guy in Omaha, Nebraska, but. Um, I'd like to say that it, your your work is inspiring to me, and I'm not just saying that because we're we're sitting here chit chatting. But um, it it seems like you've lived a very interesting and uh, admirable life. I'll just put it that way, I guess. 
Well, thanks. I wish you'd tell that to my children, my dog, and my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I've I've been lucky in a lot of ways, and uh, so I'm I'm happy about that. But the main thing I was doing for the last 40 years was taking groups of students to foreign countries uh, all around the world. And so that's been a great job. and so, again, I, I feel lucky. And there is, if we had more time, I could get into the lucky parts of it all. But, uh, yeah. And so you're taking these well, uh, these kids, I guess, so they're, they're college-age kids to the these different foreign countries just to kind of, like, as part of a curriculum thing or just kind of trying to, like, expose them to, or I guess hand-in-hand expose them to, like, other cultures in the world and, to, like, how to interact Yeah, so they're M- MBA students. Okay. Uh, maybe the, the the most interesting place recently we've taken them is Cuba. Oh, and uh, we're trying to teach them how things work in other countries. Um, for example, the Cuban healthcare system works great uh, compared to our healthcare system, which is a shambles at the moment. Yeah, and uh, part of that is uh, communism; they don't pay their doctors much money. But uh, people, um, the basic measure of a healthcare system, one of them is longevity. And the Cubans have the same long, but we spend 8000 a year per person, and they spend 400 per year per, per person. Mm, so one of the things we do is we visit a Cuban hospital. We talk to uh, Cuban doctors and, and pharmaceutical folks and try to understand how things can work and maybe what we can apply in this country. The bottom line is they're very good at dis, um, distributing information and training people in preventative medicine. And, mm. you know, for us, we see a doctor for about five minutes. Right. And th- miss out on all that. Yeah, not much. Anyway, that's one, one example. Yeah, not much preventative medicine is taught here because the doctors like to make their money. So they're just like, hey, you know, come back and see me again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a big topic too. But anyway, just the idea of uh, learning from other countries and mm-hmm. seeing the mistakes they made. But the uh, we've gone to other interesting places. I mentioned in the book I was in Russia in '89 teaching negotiation to Russian managers mm-hmm. um, how to negotiate with Americans and Japanese because they're interested in selling to the Japanese and the states in '89. Of course, all that has changed now. Right, but. Yeah. Um, uh, Anyway, we've done taken students to I don't know dozens of countries, and we've done our negotiation research in two dozen countries. So we have data on, and some of that is represented in Charlotte's War. The information on uh, China, in particular. How how important is it, or or maybe how different is it when you're in those negotiation type situations? You know, cross culturally. I mean, I. To give you a point of reference, I grew up in in deep South Texas in a on a border town in a in a predominantly Hispanic um, area of of Texas, and I was reverse culture shocked when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, um, just at how different it was and and how I was surrounded by people that looked like me and just how different the culture was, you know. And that's 
just all here stateside. So I can't imagine when you get into like business negotiations, how different it might be, you know, cross-culturally. How important do you think that is? And that might be a dumb question because I, I would assume it'd be very important, but just kind of knowing and understanding, you know, different cultures and how they negotiate and, and what that looks like for them. Um, I mean, that I would assume that would be of, of huge importance, correct? Sure. Um, one of the main ways that countries or people in different countries learn about each other is through commerce. And uh, so I basically have studied business negotiation. For my dissertation at Berkeley, we compared how Japanese and Americans negotiate um, we had them play a negotiation game, we videotaped, and then I sat with both the Japanese and Americans and asked them to explain what was going on. So my favorite example, um, which turned out to be very popular for Ford Motor Company in their negotiations with the Japanese, is, um, uh, and I'll ask you guys the question, what do you suppose the typical Japanese response is to an unacceptable offer? Then I'll let you answer first. <laughs> the typical Japanese response to an unacceptable offer. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to like piece together the little bit I know about of Japanese let, culture. Um, I would let, say. Let me take a stab in the dark while yeah. you think, go Ben. Yeah, you ahead. can think about it more. My stab in the dark guess would be a response that would be translated somewhat as such, but maybe not exactly literal to like something like go die. Like. <laughs> So, something in that vein. No, it's, uh, it's silence. Oh, no, it's just silence. I was going to say, my stab in the dark oh. was just going to be something along the lines of like some re respectful disagreement because they are very respectful people. They're very big on like respect and honor. So, yes, that's yes. So that, I, that that was a better guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so they just no, sit, that was good. They uh, just sit in silence. It's disagreeable. Interesting. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, so they just sit in silence if they find uh, an offer unacceptable. So that's got to make sometimes yeah, negotiation so a little bit awkward. And silence you, makes like, Americans crazy. Oh no! Yeah, we hate it because so because well, for us, like you're gonna you make the offer. Obviously, they don't like the offer, and so then now it, you're just sitting in in this awkward silence because you're just like, what, well, what are they thinking? Well, they already told you what they're thinking by not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't. Uh, the silence doesn't persist. Persist if there's an American involved, because mm, well, we Americans hate silence. You know, particularly in your business, dead air, you have that that uh, expression. Right. But, uh, you know, the Japanese just start, when they're negotiating with Americans, the goal is keep the Americans talking. They'll uh, tell us all kinds of things we don't even need, hadn't thought about asking, but they'll actually make concessions when silence is happening. Mm. So anyway, that's... That we learned from studying the Japanese, and then we've learned um, so many other things. So if I go south of our border, the third country we did the study was Brazil. And the big difference between the American negotiation style and the Brazilian negotiation style is the Brazilians interrupt each other like crazy. They talk <laughs> at the same time. 
and Americans tend not to do that. And uh, so Americans start to get pissed off when they're working with Brazilians because they they can't talk. Yeah, we said to ourselves, you know, looking at those two other cultures, how can the Brazilians and the Japanese ever get along? Um, because the Japanese, uh, the Brazilians would be doing all the talking, the Japanese would just be sitting there. But in both cultures, and here's here's one of the key points: they spend a lot of time on the front end getting to know one another. Mm. and uh, noticing these differences. And uh, so they get along better with, uh, with each other and with Americans and Japanese, vice versa, because they spend a lot of time building relationships. And Americans, that's something not, we're not good at. We talk about networking and things like that, but long-term relationships are really a key thing in business. Mm-hmm. It's. It's interesting because I I work in sales and I've been in sales for a long time. And that whole uh, idea of after you present pricing um, in a sales world um, to where you give the customer the price and then you shut up. And then the whole idea is the first guy that talks is the loser. Um, it, that's, that's becoming, thank God, um, somewhat of an outdated sales tactic. It's not one that I use. I, uh, I'm not a big fan of some of those like old school sales tactics, but it'll happen to me. It it happened to me when I was purchasing my truck uh, in, in 2020, um, you know, the guy gives me a price that I know he's looking for a rebuttal on. And then we enter into the, and I know what he's doing. It's the, you know, say the price shut up and now the last guy is going to lose. And so I'm sitting there looking at him and he's sitting there looking at me. And I'm like, I don't think you realize, although I've told you in nauseam, I'm in sales. I'm not here to barter. I don't want to do this whole back and forth. Let me go talk to my boss type thing. And I'm like, brother, I can sit here as long as you want. Like we can, let's. I'll I'll look right into your eyes. Let's have a blinking contest, you know. And so finally, he's like, finally, he's like, well, "What do you think of the price?" And I was like, "Were you really doing the first guy to talk loses type deal?" Like I told you, I'm in sales. Go. It, it it's interesting those little tactics, you know. And and you can always tell someone who's really good with people and good at what they do in the sales world from someone who's just kind of following like a playbook or like doing what their boss told them to do. And there's very distinct differences along the way. And um, it's just interesting cross-culturally how that translates and how that gets used in, in our markets, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I don't want to talk about sales the entire time because I know you're, you're working towards building a more peaceful future. So we'll, we'll get on that for sure. Um, I guess we can just spin right into it just now. What? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not to just completely dive in, but I, I guess what what drives you to have the idea of building a more peaceful future, or or what do you think is most important? You know, key aspects behind that for us. Well, part of it is very deep. So I'm one of five kids. And I was, I was in the middle. And uh, my mom, who, whose name is Charlotte, mm. uh, um, 
was a was a tough mother, and so I was always trying to keep peace within, particularly my sisters and my mom, as a kid, and uh, so that's part of it. Another part of it is actually a background in sales. My father was a sales manager, so I'm interested in marketing for that reason. Uh, his his um, uh, compensation put me through college, and uh, and of course he was an important role model. Um, but the bottom line for me, the most important thing we can do for international peace is international trade. And, you know, I go deeply into that, but that's how it all connects. So I'm, you know, this kid growing up trying to keep peace, but then I had this background in, uh, uh, in a family uh, where personal selling is important. And that's all about getting along. And, but trade really powers peace. And uh, the lack of it is a big problem. Um, and so anyway, that's kind of the bottom line of my work and uh, also in Charlotte's War. The other big important part or important argument in the book is that women are better at keeping the peace than men or building peace than men. Now, I know I'm getting in trouble uh, talking about gender and that kind of stuff, but the real clear difference is we've studied MBA students, both men and women, and how they negotiate, and there are interesting differences there as well. But uh, anyway, we're kind of designed to think differently about uh, war and peace uh, based on the gender. And uh, anyway, I spent a lot of time talking about that, but that's another important theme in the book. Go ahead, Ben. I didn't know if you're gonna. No, you're good. I'm talk. trying to. Like you had... I'm trying to. I'm trying to work it out. So, like, you, you can go ahead. I'm gonna string this together in my brain and then ask the question. Okay. Well, it, it, the and I know we're not gonna get in trouble on this podcast because. No. Um, we don't have enough viewers at this point in time, but maybe someday if people look back on this, but there is, you know, with as much respect to my wife and my two sisters and, and the males in my life equally, um, you know, I, I do believe that there are different gender roles. And I think that, you know, my wife is better at things than I am um, because of her gender and that I'm better at things than she is because of her gender. And that's not a slight or saying one gender is more important than another, um, or, or anything like that. Um, but it is, especially with the sales background, it, it is interesting in having firsthand experience, you know, with, with one particular culture, obviously, um, but how different it is, you know, business practices, just the mindset of, of a male versus a female. And they're both equally important and they both definitely have their own distinct roles and values, but they're, they're definitely not the same, at least in my experience. I, I would tend to agree with you in that, in that sense mm -hmm. that we, we need them both for sure. Um, but we both bring different things to the table and we're both have different intrinsic skill sets that might be a little different. 
Yeah. yeah. Did, different. Did I dance around that well enough? I, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> they're different, but they're also <laughs> well, both still valuable. And like you said, one's not better than the other. They just both have something to bring to the table to help move along whatever's happening. Yeah, one of the interesting things. So when I was working on my business PhD, I took a lot of anthropology classes because I was interested in international business and how things are done in other countries. And um, in the book, we, we one of the Charlotte is working on a PhD in anthropology, and uh, she's looking at women's roles uh, historically going way back, you know, two hundred thousand years in primitive tribes but one of the things she's also exposed to is native american tribes on the east coast in particular the iroquois nation and if you look at the rules the iroquois nation had before um europeans arrived the women were in charge of making uh uh, uh decisions about going to war mm-hmm. the males did the war, but the women, they had to have the women's permission, kind of the women's council in the tribe. That's a really interesting uh, difference. And there are other cultures where the, uh, that are matriarchal like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Charlotte talks about that, and it's interesting. And that, that by itself is, is a whole big topic. Um, and But it's not just me saying that that women uh, are important in building peace. Uh, Steven Pinker's a psychologist at Harvard, and he wrote a book, one of my favorite books, called The uh, Better Angels of Our Nature. And in it, he, sa- he gives us a lot of hope. One of the things he says is we're now living in a great peace. We don't notice it because the headlines are all about killings and war and, and it within the United States and all the violence. And so if you pay attention to the headlines, you don't see it. But if you look at the trend lines, and historically, uh, right now it's very peaceful in the world. And uh, he gives four explanations for why that's so. One is rule of law. So we have laws that say you can't murder your neighbor, where, you know, a thousand years ago, I guess that wasn't such a problem. Um, rule of reason. Uh, had the Japanese known about the extent of our industrial uh, productive capacity, they probably would not have attacked us in World War II. Um, but sure. they didn't know. So if you have informa- good information, that, uh, that also would prevent it. The third one is rule of women. So what he found in his research was um, when women were higher up in government, their countries tended not to fight so much. And then the fourth reason is the one I really like. Countries that trade tend not to fight. And so international trade is important mm-hmm. uh, for building peace. And I I think, I argue that works in three ways. Um, one is when you have trade, you learn across countries, you learn a lot more about each other and each other's culture through the interaction. Um, so that's a good thing. The interdependence, um, for example, we're not going to have ever have a war with China. We're too interdependent. And if we did, uh, there'd be chaos in China within six months. 
And I don't know what the United States would look like if uh, we had a war with China, but that's not going to happen because we're too interdependent. And then the third reason is maybe the most important one. What you get out of international trade is invention. So I don't know if you guys have Apple phones. I happen to have an Apple phone. That's got parts in it from Japan, from South Korea, from Germany, from the United States, from China. And it's uh, um, assembled in China with a lot of, and that includes a lot of their know-how. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a classic global product that uh, is, a, uh, is part of um, this creativity of international interaction. So that's kind of my my spiel on um, creating peace or building peace. I don't think you can make peace. It's kind of like making a bed versus building a bed. Right. I mean, if you make peace, it may last for a little while. Your bed gets messed up, and then you got to remake it. But if you build a good bed, um, that may last a lifetime. And so that's why um, I didn't mention it, but my work at... Uh, UC Irvine, Irvine, for 20 years, um, I've been on the board, and, and I was the, one of the founding directors of the board for the Center for Citizen Peacebuilding. And we chose citizen peacebuilding very carefully because, uh, those words very carefully, because citizens build peace, politicians create wars. And... Uh, the difference is as simple as that. And politicians aren't much good at building peace. No. Now, you guys got to realize... They're good at making it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, you guys got to realize, when I was teaching, I used to talk for three hours at a time. You got to tell me to shut up once in a while. (laughs) No, you're you're fine. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just soaking it all in right now. Um, the one thing that I will I will say though is uh, I did like all of all, you know all of your points points um, just a second ago about uh, about China, but I will more I will probably disagree with you on the fact that 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 there will never be a war with China. Um, for, for I guess for just for your for your background, most of our listeners and viewers already know this, but uh, I'm I'm active duty Air Force right now, and I've been fortunate enough to take a couple of classes and be in a couple of briefs um, about things with China. And uh, without going into too much crazy detail and risk getting myself in trouble, um, war with China is more, uh, I hate to use the word inevitable, but more likely than we would think. I I can't agree with that. Um, And I can't agree with American policy uh, toward China. Um, You know what Eisenhower said about the military-industrial complex? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, what's happening now in the United States uh, really has, uh, and China, um, goes back to when Nixon ran for Congress in 1946, and he ran against communism. Uh, this was in Orange County, about 20 miles from here. It was his congressional district, and uh, he described his Democratic opponent as a commie. And he used that argument throughout his career. Um, That was passed along uh, to George Bush. George Bush and uh, the Republicans, excuse me, uh, published a book in 1999 um, called The Cox Report. It was about Chinese espionage. And they were trying to uh, 
make a case against Al Gore because he had they had video on him at a Buddhist temple here in Orange County, and they were saying he's accepting money from the from the commies, and that was the purpose of um, that congressional report chaired by Christopher Cox in the, in this congressional district. So it continued through the Bush administration. The sad part of that story is we were playing games with the Chinese. Um, two of our planes, if you remember, two of our planes had collided uh, near China. And uh, about that time, 9-11 happened. And we were distracted by this pivot toward China uh, for no particular reason. I got in a big argument um, in 2000, around 2000 with generals, not generals, um, officers in the Marines at Camp Pendleton. Because mm-hmm. that was when the pivot to, toward China was just getting started. And I was trying to get a, a commercial airport built at Camp Pendleton. I'm still trying to do that. I have a website, PendletonX.org, if you guys are interested in looking at it. But um, the argument was, is China a threat? And China's not a threat. Um, never has been. They hardly go outside their borders. I mean, you could argue about Tibet or Taiwan, but they just their major problem for China for the last thousands of years is internal, trying to manage um, the domestic population, and um, you know it's just it's just not going to happen. We they can't afford it. We can't afford it. And what we should be talking about is not you know. And I appreciate your service. Yeah, don't worry. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. But, yeah, but what we ought to be talking about is our common problems. Um, you know, the the planet is on fire right now. Mm-hmm. This, uh, and you guys know this. Um, and China and the United States are the two biggest problems. We're getting a little bit better, but you know, our carbon footprint in this country and China, those are the two two worst. And we should be collaborating on that, trying to fix that. Mm. The other huge common problem we have, and the one that's really affecting your everyday lives and my everyday lives right now, is managing elderly folks in this country and in China. Uh, if you look at a population pyramid, and I have a book on multi-generational living. The third edition is coming out around the first of the year. Um, but the baby boom generation is crushing American systems right now, uh, pension systems and healthcare systems. And, uh, you know, um, the two scariest headlines I've heard on this topic, one is, uh, I think it was from the Washington Post, it was saying uh, American seniors flooding uh, homeless shelters. <laughs> that, that doesn't work because homeless shelters aren't built to handle elders um yeah the other they're, not, one, they're not built for senior care you know yeah the other the other creepy headline for me and I, you know i uh, i'm an old guy but uh i study marketing and, and marketing forecasts and the company that makes adult diapers is forecasting um doubling of their business uh, uh in the next decade and they're just looking at the population so if you that's that's awful but China has a worse problem because of their one-China policy. And by the way, 
Russia has a really bad problem related to the distribution of their population. So we ought to be talking about how can we help each other get through these problems, not, you know, let's fight a war. That'll, that'll fix everything. That'll fix anything. Yeah. But anyway, I, 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 yeah, I was just gonna say, I agree with you on, on that, on that portion. Like, yes, we should, we should be working together more so than, than being, um, at odds. Um, but just off the the knowledge that the little bit of knowledge that I have from what I've been through is China's getting a handle on its internal affairs more and more so, um, at least in the in the major cities with them implementing you know social currency and all this other stuff to try and keep the population in line, um, and so they have pushed, you know, you can see it through the the expansion with their man made islands and stuff, to be the dominant military power. Uh, in Asia, and they want to expand that influence past um, just Taiwan. They want to go towards you know the middle of the Pacific. Uh, so uh, there's been uh, a lot of talks. The president of China, Xi Jinping, has has pushed that you know they they'll start that push even more so within the next five years and stuff. And uh, it's I don't know. Just from where I'm sitting, I I think that it's unfortunate but inevitable that there will be um a war with china soon yeah no i I can't agree with that and part of part of um the problem here is you accurately describe the chinese ambitions but they're just imitating the united states they are but i think they've they've got a huge presence in that part of the world and and uh, anyway um this is a super important issue, the relationship with China. And uh, both Biden, Trump particularly, wrecked a very good relationship, and Biden hasn't tried to fix it. And I'm pissed off at both of them. Um, and I'm pissed off at the government generally for a bunch of reasons. But uh, this, Welcome to the club, friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're both, this, uh, both not super this, happy with it, the government. You know, so uh, Trump was, you know, claiming the Chinese communists. They aren't even communists anymore. I don't, I don't know if you've been to Shanghai, but there's a lot of free enterprise going on. Um, anyway, this is, this is a, a hugely important topic. I could spend a lot of time, but I, I have a book on China. It came out in 2008. It's called China Now. It's about how China is an opportunity for American companies. My colleague, who you probably have heard of, Peter Navarro, who was Trump's advisor about China, published a book at exactly the same time with exactly the opposite point. He was making the point that you're making. In fact, I have a copy. I can't show it to you. I have a copy of his book because I'm going to work on another book on this topic, this long history of using communism as um, in fear-mongering. And, that... uh, and uh, anyway, Navarro, I, I told Peter, we were on the same faculty for 25 years. This is before he went to the Trump administration. I told Peter, this is great, Peter. You know, we completely disagree about China. We can do seminars together and both sell a lot of books. <laughs> and it'll be really interesting. And he refused uh, because he really didn't know a lot about China. And, you know, I, I just, I, I just, this, this is a really sore subject uh, for me. And the U.S. government from the top 
is making a major error and uh, compounding the problem. You know, and the politicians, you're right in one sense, okay? The politicians can cause wars. But the politicians need to get out of the way and let trade happen and let commerce happen. And, um, and uh, I think that, that's the way to manage this. But you're right. Certainly Trump hey. could cause a war if he gets reelected. Uh, and, anyway. Uh, and I think that's it. Sorry, I've been sitting here formulating my, my thoughts. And I, I think the, the major issue of all of the topics we have discussed so far from from fear to continuity to war to should we fear china should we not fear china i i think the major issue with our established american politics is I'm going to say whatever I need to, and I'm going to do whatever I need to, to pander and placate to an audience that's going to vote for me. So whether or not what I'm saying or what I'm preaching is true or not, maybe it's true, maybe I'm kind of, you know, taking bits and pieces here and there and using them how I want to. Um, yeah, that, that That's a huge issue with our established two-party political system at this point in time and and that's frustrating from the sense of uh, and i've said on this podcast time and time again i i would more so lean right and i know the whole like right centrist ideal is like oh well then you don't really believe in anything you know at this particular time in our in our political climate but at the same time i feel like that's where and it doesn't matter if you're left leaning central leaning it, it really doesn't matter Most people really want the same thing at the end of the day and that's to have a, a culture a, a civilization where we can all agree that we all want what's best for each other so how do we get there but when you have, and you mentioned the military industrial complex and, and the warnings that we were supposed to heed going into that after speeches given by presidents on their way out, you know, um, it, it's really frustrating to be on the receiving end of all of these headlines and news topics. And you should fear this person or this demographic because x y and z or oh no you should really give your money to this person or this demographic because x x y and z people just kind of want a true north at this point in time and we don't really have anywhere to look i shouldn't say anywhere because there are people out there doing really good work and people i tend to follow like especially on social media who speak about topics such as this that i that i do trust and that i do think have that that true best interest at heart of just simply spreading good uh, uh actual true information um but to to round all that out and to bring it all back home i feel like a lot of the fear that we have a lot of the the divisiveness that we have in this country comes from buying headlines that are being propagated or paid for 
from and not even necessarily bad actors i don't want to call them that but from people who that are 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 very much pandering to a specific audience and and that is frustrating as all hell for me that's that's a big reason why this podcast is what it is now is because we were living especially in covid times and we don't have to get into all the politics and politicalness of of all covid and and all that crap i i really don't want to but it, it it seems like we live in such divisive times because there it is hard to find a true north of information in our particular culture. And I don't have the answer for it. I, I don't know what the answer is to make that better. But what I do know is something's got to get better or else it's going to continue to get worse and the fear and divisive times that we live in are going to continue to get worse. I, I mean, really broad statement. There are a lot of words to digest. But would you essentially agree with that? Do you think that's where a lot of that fear comes from? That like fear mongering, pandering, like are, we have to be better at it at a national level. I assume you would agree, but I'll let you talk now. Sorry, I'll shut up. No, 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 that's okay. Um, yeah, the big problem facing the United States beyond the storm that's hitting it, right here in Southern California, we have a, a hurricane, the remnants of a hurricane, and that's climate change. and That's a huge problem. I don't know, even know, I, I'm not confident we're going to make much of a difference in that. It's going to be, that's going to put a lot of pressure on society. <laughs> But um, the the big problem that's facing us is the baby boom generation, and I, I uh, in my business experience and in my academic experience, I look at data to support decisions. And if you look at the data on the percentage of uh, seniors in the population of the United States for the last decade, it's been screaming up. And it's going to stay, it's going to continue to get worse for the next five years. I'll probably die in that time. You guys well, that's a pretty are going to be living through John. it. Well, I, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> You're still a spry um, individual. I, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the actuary tables, and I, I get to early 80s, okay? So I'm just assuming that's, uh, so I'm looking at the data. And that, that's how I base it. Hopefully, I will live longer and and uh, and all that. But you guys will see the end of this where it tops out, and where this growth of elderly uh, begins to begin to settle down internally. Now, the data on the threat of China, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, if you compare nuclear weapons, and in the Air Force, you guys are thinking about that a lot. You know, we've got about 5,000 deployable nuclear uh, um, warheads, as do the Russians. The Chinese, the last number I looked at was about 300. Um, the Brits and the French, if you add them together, they're about the same as China. So China's really pipsqueak when it comes to a nuclear war. They aren't going to touch us and get involved in such a thing for that reason. If you look at spending... Uh, and the trend line, I talked about the importance of the trend line. The Chinese are spending a lot more 
on the military. Um, you can see it, and we have a um, at the university. Uh, we publish something called the U.S.-China Barometer, which looks at these statistics that I'm quoting right now. It looks at the trend lines, not the headlines. And uh, China's spending is really ballooning, uh, but the problem is it's not even close. It's about, uh, and I'll uh, be conservative, it's about uh, $300 billion a year, and we're up now around $800 billion a year. And we're not talking about the European Union. Russia is really, their economy has crapped out and is getting worse daily. And their ability to uh, maintain their weaponry is declining big time, has declined big time. But if you just look at the spending in those two ways, the number of nuclear weapons and um, the annual spending on defense, I mean... No, Nobody's going to start a war with the United States. It's not going to happen. It's kind of like maybe Trump was right. My button's bigger than your button on the Korea thing. North yeah. Korea thing. I mean, uh, we don't have a button. We have a whole bank of buttons, and they're all bigger. <laughs> and so, uh, um, and the Chinese know this. I'm back to rule of reason. They know this because they have good intelligence. And so they're not going to start a war, and you know maybe we will. But anyway, I don't want to get back to China, but um, that's obviously hugely important, hugely important topic. And I look at the data, and the U.S.-China barometer uh, we published it last year in 2022. You can just Google U.S.-China barometer 2022, and you'll get to a website where all the information is is, uh, is available comparing the two countries on a lot of different dimensions, corruption, health, all kinds of things, but including nuclear weaponry, including um, carbon footprints and things like that. Well, I, I think that's what makes uh, United States leaders, especially in government positions, uh, branches of the services positions, nervous when you look at like such a wildcat like Putin, you know, who there's been talks that he has cancer and that he's terminal and that he's, you know, trying to make all these wild card moves, you know, towards the end of his his reign. And and I, I once again, it's so hard to know what is hard founded truth and what's a headline that's trying to get clicks um in in the current news climate that we live in it's it's very difficult to try to find that that true north star that we know okay this is real solid founded you know political work that's trying to disseminate information to the people of the country versus we're disseminating this because we just want people to pay attention to it and it might be true it might not yeah that, yeah the, the answer to that that question how the government works in this country. Um, really say no to that, even though everybody knows that the money does influence. And but that question has to be asked. One of the things that I was was thinking about doing a couple of years ago was that try to get a campaign going, and maybe this is something you can think about. Um, take your cell phone to a political um, event. And have somebody ask the politician that question. 
who's talking and see how they avoid it and see how they lie about it. And it'll be obvious, you know, and video it. Mm -hmm. And then you can build a, a database of politicians on video denying the donations influence their votes. And then we can get get to the truth. The other big problem, and I, you know, I have taught at a business school for 40 years. The other big problem is uh, the Constitution is having a, isn't working, working real well. The Constitution says that the government is supposed to regulate business. But because of all these donations, business and commerce and the very rich are regulating government. Mm -hmm. And it's pissing everybody off. Right now, we're all upset with the government. Uh, and, uh, you know, but the, the big problem is that one, that the politicians won't tell the truth. They'll lie. And uh, all of them do it. All are worse at it than others. But that simple question, do donations influence your votes? I'd like to see a database of congressional uh, seat holders answer that question. <laughs> and if you ask them that question on your show, they won't answer it if you talk to a politician. No, they will. Anyway, avoid. I, I would love to be able to. We've we've interviewed Spike Cohen. Uh, he was the vice president um, for the Libertarian cast um, that we've been able to get to interviewing any of those high level political people. But I I would love to. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, is his name. The um, just he's Carlson the closest so person to a real. Um, he's been on Tucker Carlson. He's been on see. Rogan. He's been on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast. He's been on a handful of podcasts. Uh, he's the most realistic person that I think. And again, it could be a, a huge act. I don't know. Like my guy might just be a good actor, but uh, I don't know a whole lot about him to like stake my, you know, claim in him or whatever, however you want to say it. But he seems like one that is at least a little bit more human, like when discussing these types of issues and being a little bit more level headed um, rather than just, Oh, you know, like even Donald Trump or, um, oh, DeSantis is another one. Like these established politicians, and, and I had a lot of hope for Trump, quite honestly, to be as transparent as possible when he came into presidency about like the whole drain the swamp thing. Again, very tempered expectations. I, I, I've yet in my life to see a politician preach. Uh, a foundation and a set of expectations in their candidacy and then live up to those expectations in their actual term of presidency. I've yet to see that. I All I've seen so far in my 34 years of life is someone run for president saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Ben, what are you doing? You know, and, and the whole... Uh, honestly, Trump is what kind of turned me on to politics in a sense of like a lot of people are really riled up about this. So I'm going to start kind of paying attention to see 
I'll never understand how it all works intrinsically, but I have a lot better idea and understanding of how it works now, um, you know, all these years later. Um, but it just never ceases to amaze me how the the candidacy promises never live to their full fruition. And you end up with a population of very frustrated people. And then people are surprised as to why the population is so frustrated. And it's on this. It's just a, a very frustrating situation from start to finish for, I feel like for individuals such as us three sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I certainly agree. And, uh, yeah, so I, so that's, so I, I write books about peace. Yeah. And I have one on peace in the family. That's the multi-generational book. And we also have a couple of kids books now, um, uh, which are trying to bring the grandparents and grandkids. Um, I have a book on drug policy. And that's the idea there is to bring peace to the streets so we aren't killing each other over with stupid drug policies. Um, I have books on negotiation with Chinese, with Americans, with people from all over the world. Uh, One of my most important books is on inventive negotiation. That topic is uh, embedded in uh, Charlotte's war. Charlotte is a big advocate of that idea. And... um, so, and then our textbook on international marketing, marketing builds peace with international trade. And so anyway, that's kind of what, that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, but the political system in the States is really broken, but what's, I think really what's making us the most upset is the baby boomer problem. And the aging baby boomers are breaking our systems, and there just aren't enough people to do all the jobs that we need done, mm-hmm. including um, including uh, changing all those adult diapers. <laughs> I, I just don't know where all that's going to go. Right. But I'm I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can on the the peace stuff. At least let's not have a war with China, please. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, at the end of the day, I think that we already had. Charlotte, just real quick, Charlotte's War. Charlotte's War is all about the insanity of the war in Vietnam and how we got into that and all the lying that went on. I don't know who was the worst liar. It may have been um, Johnson, but Nixon was also awful. Yeah, Uh, and those two caused a lot of American deaths because of their lies. And anyway, that's documented in Charlotte's War. Um, this, I'm doing my personal selling here and selling the book, <laughs> but it's about an extended family. There's, there's love and romance and humor in it, but there's also politics and history. And um, the politics and history affect that family, that fictional family. And uh, it's really in the tradition of Herman Woke's books, War and Remembrance is one of my favorite books. And he said uh, at the end of War and Remembrance, as a culture, or as a race, he said, 
Um, well, maybe I can just read it. Maybe this is a good good way to close. There you um, go. As the race has out, uh, as jeez, this my glaucoma is fitting in here. As the race has outgrown human sacrifice, human slavery, and dueling, it has to outgrow war. And we're very close to that. And you know, I, I had a, made a long list of mistakes that countries have made invading other countries. Um, but I'm hoping that this Ukraine, uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is the last uh, spasm of international warfare. And I think we have a chance, once we get past that, to start building peace among the countries, because invasions don't work anymore. Um, you know, the Chinese could invade Taiwan. They'd probably wreck it because that would be an interesting fight because the Taiwanese have so many weapons. Um, but uh, anyway, we're, we're on the verge of this great peace internationally, and that's a good thing, and that gives us an opportunity to focus on the bigger problems, the global problems like uh, population distribution and migration and, of course, carbon footprint. I I agree with you. I hope I hope to all hopes that this flare up between Russia and Ukraine will be the last type of invasion traditional type war system and I know that there will be you know we're already supposedly living in the past of boots on the gro- uh, boots on the ground type warfare. Yeah. Um and and I hope that uh, sustains to be true and at the same time I hope that we can all agree you know going back to initially what you very first said about the best way to establish peace is is through commerce and trade um, that we can kind of get to those roots to where we're all working together for one common goal versus you know trying to take each other down like I don't know if you saw Chimp Empire on Netflix um, uh, you know, like a bunch of baboons or chimpanzees in the in the you know rainforest, you know, trying to stake our claim on on physical ground. We're we're past that. We should be past that. We we should be more adept at being able to get along with each other. Maybe we could be like bonobos. There, there you go. There's the bonobos. Yep, exactly. That's. <laughs> That's uh, it, it. That's uh, and again, I don't want to derail this conversation, but it's it's interesting watching the behaviors of of chimpanzees, which we share. You know, ninety nine percent of uh, very similar DNA. I'm not a scientist. I don't know that, but I, that's just what they said in the documentary. Um, yeah. But they do have very people like qualities, you know, and, and you watch them battle for these territories in certain parts of the jungle, and it's like, yeah, we're not so different. We're really not so different. Um, And we should really be smarter than them because, you know, we can kind of hash these things out. But so it is. Yeah. We can look at data. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the politicians are saying this X, Y, and Z. and And the question is, okay, so where's the data associated with that? And anyway. More data-driven thinking would be better for all of us. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. But 
Well, John, I thank you for coming on tonight and, and providing uh, the fresh perspective on on how to attain uh, peace on a global scale, and uh, and just sharing a little bit about your life and your and your work. I do appreciate it uh, very much. Uh, and Alex and I say this every time, but we're not just saying that as as podcast people as something that we we are supposed to say to our guests. We do appreciate each and every one of you that take your time out of your day to come and and chat with us. So uh, we do truly appreciate it. Sure, and if you can post um, the website, the book website that covers yep. all these books. Yep, it's will... Grahamsbooks dot com. Yep, I will have it in the uh, in the description below our YouTube live video, and it'll definitely go into the show notes uh, for when Alex posts it, uh, all of that later on. Is there anywhere else you want people to find you, John, other than the website? I, I have the website, and uh, we'll obviously post links to you, to your books and to your website. Um, I don't know if you had a Twitter or or any of that. I, I type don't of social I'm media. No nope. social Perfect. media. But, you know, Amazon is good. Um, I have a website associated with the university. Um, my nonfiction books are under, um, are under uh, John Graham, and then my fiction is under J. Lawrence Graham. I try to distinguish between the two um, in that way. But they're all on the website, grahamsbooks.com. I think you're muted, Ben. Yep, it is. I was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my keyboard's pretty clicky okay. cracky. I didn't want to. I didn't want to put that in there. Um, but yeah, we will. We'll definitely have all the links to uh, to every way that we can, you know, send people to support you and the the work and the books that you've written for sure. Yeah, and if you want to talk about more stuff uh, another time, I'm happy to do that too. For sure, we will definitely. I I would love to have you back on another time. I I feel like my brain just got a little bit of a workout. Um, <laughs> we have all kinds of different people on this podcast, and and again, I genuinely love every conversation that we have with people. Um, and conversations such as this one, where I again, you give the brain a little bit of a workout, and I like find myself like staring at the brick wall in here, like contemplating, like okay just pro it's it's nice to 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 have civil discourse and not to be in a vacuum where we're all just saying the same thing over and over and over you know it's nice to be able to to have fresh perspective and and have civil intellectual conversation with people so i i enjoyed it a lot thank you for coming on Okay, and I, I hope you get a hole-in-one next time you play golf. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're all um, out here striving for that. I've been not Still close, chasing it. Still don't have one, but, you know, maybe one of these days. Maybe next time you see me. Maybe by the okay. time I retire and play golf for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, thanks for coming on, John. We will uh, we'll definitely talk to you later. Okay, and you know, if you have any questions, you've got my email. I appreciate the communication and getting me squared away on Discord and all that. Oh yeah, but and your patience. But yeah. anyway, thanks so much for doing what you guys are doing, spreading the word, and uh, uh, I just appreciate it immensely. Yeah, well, we we appreciate you, John. Thank you for that. We'll okay. definitely be talking to you in the future. Great. Bye bye. All right, we'll see you.
All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another week's episode. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Uh, next week that was we fun. Have, it was a good one. It really had me staring at the wall, like you said, for a little while. They're trying to like put some thoughts together. I definitely wasn't as talkative as I normally am because I was busy doing mental gymnastics. I always feel bad when I'm looking away from the camera because I'm like, I, I don't want people to think I'm like staring at something off over here. But anytime mm -hmm. I'm looking away from the camera, I'm always gathering my thoughts like, okay, uh, again, the framework for this conversation coming in, uh, throw those notes away because now I'm just trying to process and have intellectual conversation, which was really cool. I, I, I like that a yeah, lot. So for sure. Uh, Great discussion. Yep. Next week we have uh, our a guest on, um, and then after that we are uh, we have no guests lined up after next week, not yet anyway. So um, for those of you out there, if you would like to be on the podcast, please let us know. Our social media handles are at the end screen here. It'll be up in a minute, um, and uh, or you can find us at uh, I think the email address is what in da d a world. Um, at gmail.com so you can definitely shoot us an email um, if you would like to uh, to be on the podcast and we can work that out but we'll have it's, a guest it's what in the da world podcast podcast at gmail.com correct I remember if we had the podcast if, portion in there or not if you've made it this far listening to this episode honestly i just love to have you on um, <laughs> we have a few other like people out there but we do not have anything on the books so yeah. so we've got, um yeah. september and on we're pretty much open we're open so uh september 3rd there will be no podcast i'll actually be traveling back here from omaha um so i'm gonna gang gang i'm gonna be away in a couple of weeks i'll be on another little trip down to arkansas and then back to omaha again um but september 3rd there will be no show and then after that it's it's free reign. It's open season. If you want to hop on, let us know, and we will get you scheduled on our humble little show. Uh, but other than that, you guys have a great night um, and a great rest of your – or a great week, I should say, not rest of the week because we are getting ready to start a new one. Um, so, yeah, have a great week, and as always, make sure you tell somebody you love them, and we'll be on with – Brad next week talking about his little um I shouldn't say his little it's not a little <laughs> um his stage drama I think is the best way an original episodic audio drama called Around the Suns so it'll be uh Dwayne Cerny sent us this gentleman oh nice so our old our old friend Dwayne, Dwayne. sent us a referral and i'm super excited to talk to him it should be really fun next that's week that's gonna be so. cool that'll be a cool i like that that's gonna be make fun. sure you like comment subscribe um all things. of that fun yes but we love you all thanks we for tuning you guys in. and uh we'll see you next time peace peace